Good morning, Cornerstone Church family and friends. I am Pastor Bill Johnson, and I too want to welcome everyone who is tuned into this, our third streaming worship service since COVID-19. And in the chat box, if you haven't already done so, just type in where you're, you're tuning in from and maybe even who's with you so that we can greet you and welcome you as being part of our worship today. And a special welcome back to our Pastor Danny, who has been on sabbatical for the last three months. Sorry, but Danny, we sort of messed up the world while you were gone, but we look forward to hearing from you um, some of what you learned over these three months in sabbatical. I also want to add my congratulations to Esther and Chris on the birth of Ellie last Sunday, and we look forward to when we can hold Ellie and just look at her and see how much of a perfect gift of God she is. As an FYI to everyone else, um, Chris is our um, Director of Global Initiatives and Justice, and so um, he's now on paternity leave, which means that he'll pick up emails and phone calls and everything when he gets back. And then on a final church family note, um, this is actually going to be the week that Pastor Hojin will begin his paternity leave. Um, his and Julie's due date is this week, so be praying for them and we'll let you know what happens in an update from them. All right, I don't know about you, but I actually dressed up for church this morning. And I promise you that I'm wearing pants. You'll have to take my word for it, but I promise you I'm wearing pants. Uh, this week I read that um, the authoritative time, 8 p.m., is evidently for those who are working from home, 8 p.m. is the authoritative time when you're supposed to change out of your day pajamas into your night pajamas. I also have a friend that, that said that, that in the past she spins the, she spins the toilet paper roll like she's spinning a roulette wheel, but now she spins it like she's trying to open up a safe. But to be honest, things are really challenging for many of us right now. We've never been here before. Many of us are afraid for ourselves and for those that we love. We're concerned about those who are on the front lines of our, our healthcare workers. We're concerned for those who are other frontline jobs like grocery stores and pharmacies and, and other essential businesses. We're praying for the most vulnerable populations in our world, the extreme poor, the elderly, the incarcerated, those who are in ICE detention centers, those who are in refugee camps, um, the unemployed and others. Our lives are upended and we're all trying to figure out how to live in such a time as this. I have lots to share with you as a church family about things that are we're working on together. Um, just so you know, the pastors over these last three weeks, weeks, the pastors and lay leaders, they've not just been trying to figure out how we do streaming worship. We're actually trying to rethink everything about how we do church in this day. We don't know how long this is going to last. So we are diligently, we're convinced that our, our mission and vision from God remains the same, but we're trying to figure out how do we, we act on, how do we advance that mission in new ways for new times. And our prayer is actually that during this time, 
we will even more effectively advance the mission of God and accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish and be as a church. And um, right now at the top of our priority list is to figure out how, while we are socially distant, we can still be spiritually connected. So we're working on all kinds of ideas for that, and we will be back in touch with you because we want this time, even though it's difficult, we want to be even more spiritually connected to God. We want to be even more spiritually connected to each other. And we want to be more spiritually connected to the mission of Jesus in the world. So without uh, further ado, let's dive into God's Word this morning. Um, at Cornerstones, we're in a Lent series on the book of Judges. And just so you know, the, the Hebrew word for judges could just as easily be translated leaders. So we could actually call this book of the Bible the book of leaders. Um, in ancient Israel, there was a hunger for good leaders to lead the fractured nation, to, to find deliverance, and to allow people to live in safety so that they could live their lives in peace. And there were so many competing agendas in ancient Israel, so many different parties that were at odds with one another. Um, it wasn't just red states and blue states, but there were green states and yellow states and purple states and magenta states. Uh, there were so many competing agendas that we can't even keep track of who all the different people were. A lot like today. And if you've wondered why it is that we are in the book of Judges during Lent. If you've wondered, how does the book of Judges prepare us for Holy Week and Easter? Here's what I found this, because I had that same question when we started. Here's what I found in these months of working through the book of Judges. The book of Judges has helped me become aware of how much I, too, really desire a good, a great, a deep, a wise spiritual leader for my own soul and for our world. So interestingly, the book of Judges is making me ache more and look forward more to the celebration of Jesus our King at Easter. So of all of the leaders in the book of Judges, Samson has to be the most flawed and the most disappointing leader that we meet. Somehow in my head this week, Samson kind of blended together to become this weird kind of picture of, of Marvel superheroes and John Wick and Donald Trump, and it all got confused um, for four whole chapters. More space dedicated to Samson than any other leader in the book of Judges. For four chapters, we read them and we respond. We have these responses of like, huh? Or, really, Samson? Or just plain, yuck? But weirdly, Samson can make us hunger for Jesus, maybe more than any other Old Testament judge. You know that series of drawings on the internet um, that, um, that say, don't be like Bob? They go something like this. This is Bob. Bob has a conflict or a problem with one of his friends. Bob posts to Facebook to create drama instead of talking with his friend. Bob is stupid. Don't be like Bob. Well, this message is titled, 
Samson is stupid. Don't be like Samson. And you'll see why as we look at his life. We, um, we see Samson's life in three scenes in Judges 13 through 16. And, um, and we're left with so many questions after we read them. The first scene that we see in, um, of, of Samson revolves, it's in, in chapter 13 of Judges, revolves around his birth. The second scene of his life is in Judges 14 and 15, and it revolves around his marriage. And then the third scene in his life is Judges 16, and it revolves around his destruction. I want to just kind of look quickly at each of those scenes in Samson's life. Then I want to back up and see what can we learn or discern from Samson's life? What truths can we learn that might make our lives better? So Samson's birth is recorded in Judges 13. And this is how Judges 13 starts with Judges 13, 1 through 5. It starts like this. And the people of Israel, again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children. But you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat, eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child will be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistine, Philistines. Just think about Samson's birth. An angel announced that he would be born. Remember who else God announces in advance? An angel goes to them and announces that they will have a child. Samson's mother joins in the Bible other mothers like Sarah, who was barren until her old age and gave birth to Isaac. Jacob's wife, Rachel, who gave birth to Joseph. Hannah, who gave birth to the prophet Samuel. Elizabeth, who gave birth to John the Baptist, and of course, Mary, who gave birth to Jesus. Do you see how expectations around Samson's birth were incredibly high? Here at last, surely will be a leader and a judge, the one that we've all been looking for, the one that we all are waiting for. Surely he would deliver God's people but prepare to have your hopes dashed. The fact that, that Samson was a Nazarite meant that before Samson was born, he was set aside and dedicated to be an example to the people of Israel, of one whose life was devoted completely to honoring and serving God above all. Being a Nazarite meant that Samson would never drink wine, he would never cut his hair, he would never become unclean from touching a dead body. What a rich spiritual heritage God gave to young Samson in the devotion of his mother and his father. We're told that as he grew up, God gave him favor. But sadly, 
Instead of being an example of a life devoted to God, Samson's life will become an example of tragic devotion to himself and to his passions. In every downward spiral in Samson's life, he breaks his vows to be devoted to God. And there's a pattern that applies to our lives too. Every time we break our vows of devotions to Jesus, we too spiral down into sin and suffering and pain and sadness. Well, the second scene of Samson's life is Judges 14 and 15, and it revolves around Samson's marriage. Let me read you the first four verses of Judges 14. Samson went down to Timnah, which was a nearby Philistine um, town, and the Philistines were the avowed enemies. They were oppressing the Israelites. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for God was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. There's no request on Samson's part for counsel or instruction from his community. There's certainly no listening to his parents. There's no restraining Samson from what he wanted. No remembering of the calling that God had put on his life. No consideration of right and wrong. Just a pursuit of what he wanted the world be damned. And you can read your for yourself the account in Judges 15 and 16. But thus begins a story of Samson's marriage that was forbidden by God, that led to a riddle at his wedding, that led to Samson's wife, his brand new wife, betraying him, that led to Samson killing 30 Philistine men to steal their clothing, that led to his wife and her whole family being burned alive, that led to Samson being captured and then killing another thousand Philistines. It really is that brutal and gruesome and stupid. Samson broke vow after vow of his commitment to God, and that led to instance after instance of pain and suffering. What a wasted life. What a wasted life. The last verse of Judges 15, verse 20, blandly says that this flawed leader who was more concerned about how he looked than who he was, this seriously flawed leader, we're told, led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Well, then the third and final scene of Samson's life is presented in Judges 16, and it revolves around Delilah. Maybe some of you remember um, pictures in your children's Bibles about Samson, or maybe you remember stories about Samson in Sunday school. Um, if you remember stories of Samson in Sunday school, um, they almost always told us about Samson and Delilah. And I have to say, 
I can't figure out why that's in any way appropriate for a children's Sunday school topic. Um, what I remember growing up was a children's Bible that had a picture of Samson in all of his might, without any eyes because they'd been gouged out, standing between the pillars of a temple and then pushing with all his might and there are cracks in the pillars and the roof is starting to fall down and people are falling off the roof and lots of people are dying. Which, once again, why is that somehow a good picture in a children's um, picture Bible? Well, this third scene of Samson's life is about Delilah and Samson's suicide and destruction. The scene continues with Samson's lust for, starts with Samson's lust for a prostitute and then tells us about his relationship with Delilah, whom we're told that he loved, but who clearly didn't have much love for him. Judges 16 begins like this. Samson went to Gaza, which is another Philistine town. There's kind of a pattern here of where he walks and who he stands with and who he sits with. Samson went to Gaza. And there he saw a prostitute, and he went in to her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them over his shoulders and carried them up to the top of a hill that is in front of Hebron. Next part. After this, he loved a person in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, another Philistine encampment. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Seduce him. And see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. And you can read the rest of the story, but it goes on like that time and time again until Samson finally tells Delilah how he can be subdued and overwhelmed. And he is ambushed, and he is taken prisoner. His eyes are gouged out, and, um, and he's made fun of. Because here is the great Samson who was trying to free the Israelites from the Philistines, and now the Philistines had him like a circus act that they could call out to entertain them. Judges 17, 30, and 31 ends the account of Samson's life like this. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel for 20 years. Like I said, we read Samson's story and we have so many questions. Samson, why were you so stupid with women time after time after time again? 
Delilah ambushed you three times and you still told her the fourth time how you could be subdued. One biblical commentator wrote, it's difficult to comprehend Samson's naivete and stupidity. Perhaps it's best understood as a self-imposed foolishness brought on by immorality and sensual intemperance. Willfully sinful people not only lose their insight into spiritual matters, but they may lose their insight into matters of common sense as well. Samson, how could you be so stupid and fall into the same trap time and time and time again in your life? Samson, why did you never get a grip on your, your abuse of women and your lust? Why did you never get a grip on your rage and your revenge and your self-preoccupation, your fragile self-image? And then God, why would you use a Samson to do your will? So let's step back from Samson's life. What can we learn from Samson that might apply to our lives? And there are two truths that I've, I found as I, I just meditated on Samson's life. And the second truth will lead us to a practical, a very, very practical response during this pandemic. The first truth that we can see from Samson's life, it's absolutely clear from Samson's life that God will accomplish his purposes in this world, either with us or in spite of us. Clearly, God could not approve of Samson's neglecting his great spiritual heritage and his calling. God could not approve of Samson's deceitfulness, his lust, his abuse of women, his foolishness, his rage, his revenge. From his birth narrative, clearly God intended for something far greater from Samson's life. But even when Samson was foolish and faithless, God still accomplished his purposes, but he had to do it in spite of Samson instead of with Samson. And the same applies to us. Our mothers probably didn't get visited by an angel of the Lord informing the world that we would be born. But Psalms 139 says, for you, God, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before any of us were born, God already had dreams for our lives of the the significance and purpose and good that our lives could bring to our world. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Like Samson, God also desires to do great and glorious things in us and through us. And Samson's life proves that God will accomplish his purposes no matter what, because he is God. And you know what? During the COVID-19 pandemic, God will accomplish his purposes no matter what. The question is, will he do it with us or will he do it 
in spite of us? Will we be more like Samson or will we be more like Jesus? Yesterday I was on a long walk and in the middle of it I had a phone call with my son who is a nurse practitioner in a hospital in West Michigan and his floor has been converted over to receive COVID-19 patients. So like many of you, he is on the front lines of the pandemic. And we talked about that for a little bit. And after I hung up, um, I just prayed, God, what are you going to do to stop this pandemic and all of the suffering that comes with it? And the response that I sensed from God actually surprised me. I sensed the Lord say this, Bill, I will do my part. The question is, will you and will my people do their part? God will accomplish his purposes no matter what. He will do it in spite of us if he cannot do it with us. Which leads to the second truth that we can take, I think, from Samson's life to apply to ours. And that is, in the age of COVID-19, and for the rest of our lives, we can choose to live differently than Samson. So this week, I took a, a long look at Samson's life, and I tried to figure out what was he lacking? What wasn't there that allowed him to become the kind of person that he became? And after sifting it around, I came across, I think, four things that Samson lacked, that Jesus actually nurtured, and that I believe are essential for our lives, for God to accomplish his work in us and through us instead of in spite of us. So here are four things that I found that I think Samson lacks, Jesus nurtured, that I want to invite you to weave into your life and actually do some work on that this very week. First, Samson refused to live the calling that God had for his life. It's not that he didn't know. He knew he was a Nazarite. He surely heard the stories of his birth and what it was that his life was supposed to accomplish. He knew that he had a holy calling. Brothers and sisters at Cornerstone, this is why we focus so much in our church on discovering and stewarding God's unique holy calling in our lives. Because if you don't know it, then you're not going to live it out very effectively. But like Samson, even once you do know it, we still have to figure out whether we're going to live our calling or not live our calling. And knowing and living our holy calling is essential if God is going to accomplish his purposes with us and not in spite of us. And so I want to encourage you to do some work. Use this time of, of maybe more space in your life to do some reflection. What is your holy calling? Jesus knew his unique holy calling. We come across it in situation after situation. In Luke 19, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In Mark 10, 44, he said, I have come to serve and not be served. And in John 4, he says, my food is to do the will of my Father. Jesus knew his holy calling, and he lived his holy calling. So this week, as I sat with the travesty of Samson's life, I opened up my journal at one point, and I just wrote a, a heading, what is my God-given calling during this pandemic? 
and I just started writing ideas of God's grander vision for more my life during COVID-19. And then much of it will, I hope, continue after the pandemic is over. And so I came up with a page of different ideas and I went back and I, I categorized which ones are calling critical. They absolutely, absolutely have to take first place. Which are calling essential, the next level down, and which are calling optional. And the calling optional were good things, but if I don't get to them, that's okay. The calling essential, if I don't get to them, everything crumbles. And so I wanna encourage you to open up a journal Get a piece of paper, open up a document on your computer, and at the top of the page write, what is my God-given calling during this pandemic? And just prayerfully listen and start to write what the Lord impresses upon you of what his grander vision is for your life in the middle of this pandemic that we're living right now. Because I'm absolutely, and this may take some time, Okay, it may take um, a few hours of listening. It may take a couple visits coming back to let God to speak to you about what his calling is on your life, especially during this time. And this is essential if we want to be less like Samson and more like Jesus. Second, Samson did not live with God honoring core values to give boundaries to his life. Core values define for us what we will not do and also what we must do. Proverbs 29, 18 says that where there is no vision, the people perish. Another translation says it actually a little bit better. Where there's no revelation from the Lord, the people cast off restraint. Samson cast off all restraint because he didn't have God-honoring core values that restrained him and also compelled him. We see Jesus's God-honoring core values when he's tempted in the wilderness. And Satan comes to him and offers him immediate gratification, fame, power, authority, security, protection from suffering, and ego satisfaction. Satan offers him all of this. But Jesus had unshakable core values of integrity, commitment to truth, to be sustained by the word of God, to worship God and God alone. Everything in Jesus's life was shaped by his core values. So this week in my journal on the second page, I just put at the top, what are my core values during this pandemic? And I wrote things like love, honor, commune, and connect with God and his word every single day. I wrote love people better. I wrote lead like Jesus. And I wrote, care for the least and the last and the lost. And then I wrote, pursue beauty, creativity, wisdom, and depth. What are your core values that define your life, that restrain you and compel you? So this week, would you just at the top of the page, what are my core values during this pandemic? And just write down the impressions that you have from the Lord. And then maybe go back once you've filled up the page or you've got four or five or six or seven items there and rank order the ones that are the most important. Because I found that the most important ones mattered incredibly. And I needed to start with those as I went through the days of this pandemic. If we don't name our core values and live them again, we will be more like Samson and less 
like Jesus. Third, Samson did not have any strategies to live out God's calling in his life. Calling comes first because if we don't know what God is calling out of our life, if we don't know where we want to go, any road at all will get us there. But once we know our holy calling from the Lord, once we know our core values, then we need a strategy for how to get to that life that God wants us to live. Having our calling and our values in our heads, absolutely essential, but not sufficient. Because, as has been said many times, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Lots of people have these ideas in their heads, or they wrote them down in a journal somewhere, and they don't have strategies to put them into their lives. We know Samson had no strategies, because he was constantly impulsive and reactive. He did whatever popped into his head to do at the time. Listen to what this Bible commentator said about Samson. He wrote, The account of Samson is noticeably different from the preceding narratives in the book of Judges. Such differences center primarily on Samson himself. Samson, unlike the deliverers who went before him, operated totally on his own, lacking even the moral support of the local Israelites. His various activities constitute a series of personal adventures more than a concerted effort to free his people from oppression. Finally, whatever advantages are gained through his involvements, Samson's career assumes mediocrity, or at the very least, incompleteness. In spite of the great expectations surrounding the announcement of his birth, Samson will only begin the task of confronting the Philistines. Instead of listening to the wisdom of his parents and engaging with his community, Samson did what was right in his own eyes. And as a result, he went from one self-inflicted wound to another through his life. What a tragic, tragic waste of a life. We see Jesus's strategies for his life in his personal spiritual rhythms and in his community spiritual rhythms. Jesus would regularly leave people and the praise of people and go and be by himself to be with the Father. It's also very clear that Jesus had strategies of meditating, reflecting on God's word, even as a young boy, because by the time he was 12 years old, he could already dialogue with religious leaders in the temple in Jerusalem. We see Jesus's communal spiritual rhythms in choosing a group that he would be with and they would be with him. And we also see Jesus in choosing Peter, James, and John to be his squad, to invest time and energy together, to grow together, and to be supported together. So this week I wrote down, what are my strategies? What are my strategies to live God's calling in my life during this pandemic? And I wrote down two strategies. I wrote down, I will maintain daily and weekly personal and communal spiritual rhythms. Have I shared with you before, we shape the rhythms of our lives, and then the rhythms of our lives shape us. So rigorous and careful study and research and observation of the Christian life shows that nothing is more catalytic than shaping spiritual rhythms so that we can create space in our lives so God can transform us where we cannot transform ourselves. So during this pandemic, I am going to maintain 
daily and weekly personal and communal spiritual rhythms. And the second strategy that I wrote down in my journal this week is that I will live my holy calling by stewarding my spiritual gifting so that I'm not living by my own power, but I'm living in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are so many things that can be done during this pandemic. Everybody wants to tell us of what we should do next. But I have to be devoted to steward the specific spiritual gifts God has given me so that I accomplish the calling that he has given me. So what are the strategies that you will put in your life to accomplish the mission that God has for you during this pandemic? Again, on the top of a page, write that question. What are the strategies that I will put in my life to fulfill the calling that God has for my life during this pandemic? Because without clear strategies, you and I will waste this pandemic. And we may very well, like Samson, waste our lives. Then finally, um, fourth one here. As I looked at the life of Samson, I thought, Samson didn't have any plans. He didn't have anything in his daily life to honor God. All the callings and values and strategies in the world amount to very little if they don't actually get into our schedule, if they don't actually get space day to day and week to week. Wanting to honor God with my life, knowing my core values, talking about spiritual rhythms does little if it doesn't get into my schedule, if it doesn't make it into how I walk through day by day of my life. Clearly, Samson's day to day didn't look that much different from everybody else in the world. It looked the same as the culture around him. There are so many other things that Samson could do. Why did he have to pay attention? Or why did he want to be bothered with setting aside time daily to connect with God, to be shaped by God, so that God might transform his lust and his rage and his abuse? Because Samson shaped the rhythms of his life, and then the rhythms of his life shaped Samson. We know the personal and communal spiritual rhythms of Jesus' life, not so much because he talked about them a lot, he talked about them from time to time, but we mostly know the, the daily and weekly spiritual rhythms of his life because he modeled them, because he lived them out. Jesus showed us how to live a life where God can accomplish his purposes. So this week, I wrote in my journal a number of things. I just put at the top of a page, what are the things that I will put into every day and every week of my life during this pandemic. And in, the one that surprised me that I wasn't quite expecting that I wrote in my journal is I sense God call me to listen to his word each and every morning before I listen to the daily news. God's daily news for me was more important and needed to have priority over what the world said was news. I'm trying to take five to 10 minutes every day during this pandemic to do a personal self-examination, to ask Jesus if there's anything that I missed that he wanted to show me in each of the last 24 hours of my life. This week, will you actually start with the first one? What is my holy calling during this pandemic? Secondly, what are my core values that will restrain me and compel me during this pandemic? Thirdly, 
What are the strategies that I will put into my life? And then will you put those strategies into your calendar? And so on the top of the page, just write, what are my plans that I will do day after day, every day, until the end of COVID-19? Unlike Samson, we can put God into the center of our lives and not the margin. Right now, most of the world, COVID-19 is God at the center of their lives. We as the followers of Jesus can put Christ at the center on the throne. Jesus Christ is our King. Jesus Christ is the one who defines the world for us. The world for us does not define Jesus. In conclusion, Samson clearly neglected his God-given calling, God-honoring values, strategies, and plans in his life. And while God did still accomplish his purposes, Samson's life was a tragic failure. Jesus shows us by contrast how to live a life that God can work with instead of in spite of. This week, please, this week, will you start to lead your own life? Will you take the time to, to get on paper your best understandings at this point in time? It doesn't have to be perfect. Get your best understandings at this point in time of your holy calling, your God-honoring values, your strategies, and your plans during COVID-19. So, going back to Bob on the internet. So this is Samson. Samson wasted his rich spiritual heritage. Samson was controlled by his sinful, selfish passions. Samson stubbornly did what was right in his own eyes. God accomplished his purposes anyway, but what a waste of a life. Samson was stupid. Don't be like Samson. In contrast, this is Jesus. Jesus knew his God-given calling, his God-honoring values, and spiritual strategies and plans. Jesus made the difference his life was supposed to make in this world. Jesus was smart. Be like Jesus. In closing, I came across a profound poem on Facebook this week, written by a Sarah Borns in New York City, which is the epicenter of the pandemic in the United States, as I speak. Listen to this poem. She writes, We've all been exposed not necessarily to the virus, maybe, who even knows. We've all been exposed by the virus. Corona is exposing us, exposing our weak sides, exposing our dark sides, exposing what normally lays far beneath the surface of our souls, hidden by the invisible masks that we wear now exposed by the paper masks we can't hide far enough behind. Corona is exposing our addiction to comfort, 
our obsession with control, our compulsion to hoard, our protection of self. Corona is peeling back our layers, tearing down our walls, revealing our illusions, leveling our best laid plans. Corona is exposing the gods of that we worship, our health, our hurry, our sense of security, our favorite lies, our secret lusts, our misplaced trust. Corona is calling everything into question. What is the church without a building? What is my worth without a paycheck? How do, I, how do we plan without certainty? How do we love despite risk? Corona is exposing me, my, numbless, my mindless numbing, my endless scrolling, my careless words, my fragile nerves. We've all been exposed, our junk laid bare, our fears made known, the band-aid torn off, the masquerade done. So what now? What's left? Clean hands, clear eyes, tender hearts. What Corona reveals, God can heal. Come, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I close with this. Wash your hands a lot. Consider listening to God's word before you listen to the news every day through the pandemic. Stay in touch with your family. Stay in touch with your friends. Stay at home. Don't be like Samson. Be like Jesus. With God's help, we can be healed of what's being revealed in us by the coronavirus. And we can be mobilized as a great army of God to live lives of significance and substance and glory before a watching world in the face of a devastating pandemic. Blessings to you this week. Love always. We'll be in touch.